And this has, by the way, been very important during the pandemic, right? Due to social distancing guidelines, many games are played without spectators. Maybe one coach is allowed and the kids have to be separated. So our products allows families to stay connected to those games without having to be there. Hi, welcome to the Halftime Snacks. My name is Ronen Einbinder. This show features the stories of talented people working in sports. Are you ready? Let's go. pleasure to introduce our following guest of the Halftime Snacks. Our guest today has a super solid background. He holds a master's degree from Harvard Business School and a bachelor's from Columbia. Additionally, he has over 20 years of experience as a C-suite executive of high growth technology businesses from startup to growth stage. He co-founded an interactive sports attraction, founded a hedge fund, built a fintech company, raised over $110 million of investor capital, and achieved two successful exits. Today, he's the COO of Game Changer, a company developing youth sports communities with the highest quality game coverage. Our guest area of expertise lies in the intersection between finance, data, and technology. So, ladies and gentlemen, Samir Ahuja. Uh, thank you for having me, Ronan. I'm really excited to be here looking forward to our discussion no man thank you for accepting my invitation to the halftime snacks it is an honor to host you here today and i want to start by asking you about your story and your background but i want to know specifically what is something interesting about your story and your background that not so many people know uh, absolutely uh, you know as you said i've been an entrepreneur for a long time but there's one really specific area that i've spent a lot of time studying and thinking about and it's, it's something a lot of people don't focus on it's a little wonky but it's it's this notion of complex systems and what complex systems are is a field that trains you to think about very unexpected what they call fat tail events you know nasim taleb who's quite famous as a writer uh, talks a lot about this. People are never prepared for major things to happen. Stock market crashes, pandemics, as we know. Companies are never prepared for sudden shifts in losing their customers or or someone beating them to a new market, uh, off you know a huge drop in employee morale. Last year, we saw politicians around the whole world are unprepared for big changes and big you know shifts in sentiment. Things happen really slowly, then they happen all of a sudden, and people are usually caught off guard. So this is something I've, you know, not a lot of people know, but I've spent a lot of time trying to train myself and learn about these these topics. And I think they're applicable in in everything, in in, in building companies, in in being a good member of your community, uh, in being a good leader. Uh, and so I, I I see examples of of this kind of thinking everywhere. I actually write a personal blog called Complexity Everywhere, and I, a lot of my writing actually focuses on this topic. But I use it every day, you know, even if it's something as simple as, um, you know, uh, a team of of a team on in your in your company is underperforming. You know, you want to make sure you avoid some sudden shift in in that in that team all the way to the other side. Um, you 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 don't want to wake up one day and have all of your customers you know left you for another you know for another product. Uh, it's it's 
it's something I, I think more people should train their mind to think about. Yeah, there's this online writer and investor called Morgan Housel. Maybe you know, if you heard about him, but he says yes. he, he wrote this, this piece about the risk and how the, the most dangerous risk is the one that no one really saw coming. So the biggest impact of, of 2020, he, he gave us an example that it wasn't really the trade war or it wasn't really Trump's uh, political you know, position or all the things that they wanted to do. No, at the end of the day, the biggest and most dangerous risk of all was COVID and no one really saw it coming. So I guess that it goes along the lines of what you say and what you write about. I know your, your blog is, was super interesting to go over it and to dig into the rabbit hole of all the things that you write. So I'm sure we're going to talk a little bit about that later. But I want to ask you now about Harvard, because it's interesting to see how education is shifting a lot. And I want to know, of course, your take on that. And if you think it's still as valuable as it was before to go to Harvard, for example. But also, I want to know if there's any common trait between students in Harvard that you noticed that you think it's very important either for business or for life or why do you think most leaders in U.S. companies come out of there? Can you share with us your thoughts about all of that? Absolutely. First on the value of education, obviously I'm a huge proponent of, of value. I've been fortunate enough to attend some wonderful schools. My wife actually works in higher education. Uh, but I, you know, as, as someone who works in technology, I think it's really important to realize that there's a dramatic shift in the value proposition. And I think most colleges and universities are, need to move faster to, to address that. Uh, and it's not just the pandemic, even once that subsides. Uh, information and knowledge is ubiquitous on the internet and universities have made huge investments in building infrastructure and staff and buildings and huge campuses. And they need to really justify their value. And, uh, and so I think there's going to be a lot of innovation there. And I'm hoping that both new entrants and the existing, you know, universities and colleges really can take education forward and make it even more ubiquitous for everyone. Uh, in terms of of Harvard, you know, I went to Harvard Business School. It's a really amazing place. And, you know, the obvious answer to your question and what a lot of people say is, is leadership, right? The mission of Harvard Business School is to educate leaders who make a difference in the world. But I actually think there's something else that I would argue might be a little even more powerful, right? Many of the people that I know who I went to school with and since, you know, others that I've met, they're really passionate about serving the common good. Uh, I think this is something that was really missing last year, at least in the United States, right? With the pandemic, with racial inequality, with all the political turmoil, you saw a lot of people putting themselves ahead of the well-being of, of others. And that has to change, right? Now, the typical Harvard Business School student pursues business like I have. Maybe later in life, they pursue public service. But you do see many of them actually helping the common good through their businesses. Uh, you don't have to wait you know, to be later in life to do that. I know we'll talk about it more later. That's one of the reasons I love working at Game Changer because we're really serving communities everywhere. Uh, but that that's an that's an important trade. Uh, you know, serving the common good. I uh, I've seen so many Harvard graduates uh, have an impact there, and I, and I hope I hope that continues. Yeah, absolutely. I agree with what you say, Samir, in terms of what if first of all for the value proposition of education. It's crazy how we live in, a, in an age where all the information and everything is online. You can basically learn any skill online. And this crazy um, 
super inflated tuition costs are kind of opposing the uh, the whole idea of how the value of, of the university is 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 shown i guess that that's something that is will change i don't know if it's changing right now but i'm sure that will change in the future and i also think that what you said is also very key because i i thought about i thought about this question when i was writing it and i thought wow this is a super basic question because it's just going to answer me that harvard educates leaders and that's obvious right there's millions of articles around there but i guess i guess that in a leader in in a person with uh charisma and presence and character and composure there's this thing inside to serve the community i feel like it's more oriented towards having also a purpose and knowing what's your life's why and knowing where you're going. So what's your why? Would you share with us what's your life purpose? What's, what's, what do you want to achieve? You said a little bit serve the community with Game Changer. So can you just throw us your, your why? Yeah, absolutely. I, and it's, by the way, it's taken me a long time to, to, to get to this point, but I genuinely, find is you know i think it's really important for people to be rooted in finding happiness and you know i was uh i've actually been really inspired by uh the writings of of, of this individual called anthony DeMello. he was uh, uh he's passed away he was a indian priest and writer and sort of spiritual figure and he you know wrote a number of books and his writings were published and you know he has this sort of quote that if you don't mind i i think it would be it'd be neat to share right uh He says, there, there's not a single moment in your life when you do not have everything you need to be happy. Think of that for a moment. The reason why you're unhappy is because you're focusing on what you don't have rather than what you have right now. And so I, I really believe in kind of being in, 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 in the moment and kind of finding happiness in what you have. And for me, I've found that helping others, whether it's through work or, or my personal activities or community service, really, I find a lot more inspiring than you know, doing something just for myself. So like I, my, my, my purpose is to do whatever work I do or whatever stuff I do outside of work to kind of put the overall common good ahead of people. And again, I feel really fortunate that I've been able to find that in my, in my business work. And I've certainly done things that where that isn't the case, but I, I, I'm currently, and I hopefully for the rest of my life and career really focused on that. You know, you've been, well, from, from my research that I did about you, you've been uh, almost everywhere. Of course, you, your education was a very solid one. And then you worked for uh, A.T. Kearney and then uh, J.P. Morgan. So you've been, you've been at the forefront of many financial numbers, many financial uh, deals, funding. So I wonder how, if you could just give us an overview or in a nutshell explanation of how VC funding works different from angel funding and how their respective challenges differ, how are they different? Yeah, absolutely. So in, you know, in my background, I've had a lot of success working with angels uh, and because I've been able to really build personal relationships with those individuals uh, with the dramatic rise in tech in this, in this era and, huge rise in valuations and, and, and all of that, the lines have been blurred, right? So you have individuals, many famous people who've accumulated so much capital and have become angels that they're actually rivaling large venture capital firms, right? In terms of their clout. And it, you may find as an entrepreneur, 
aligning with a very notable angel is even better than than going to a firm. But interestingly enough, a lot of VCs firms are moving now at the speed that an angel might move with decision making and also with transparency on how they work, what kind of terms they offer. Uh, there's this new concept and, you know, there's so many of them and I'm not an expert on all of them, but there's this new concept of a rolling fund that I've been reading about. I believe it was pioneered or, or, or popularized by AngelList. This is where fund managers can now accept capital quarterly in auto renewing commitments. And you can actually raise a fraction of a normal fund and just start investing immediately in startups. And uh, there's so much really great innovation. The bias is for speed and transparency. And I think the angel community has really driven that. Uh, so my main view and my, my main advice to folks would be, I think there's a huge gap between someone who believes in you 99% and someone who believes in you and your business 100%. And so I would, I would always opt for the person or the firm, you know, the angel investor, the partner at the VC firm, who's, who's as convinced as you are that your crazy idea that no one believes in is going to work. Right. And you want them waking up every day thinking about your business, who they can introduce you to, what idea they can give you, what it, what advice they can give you. Uh, I've, I've seen and I've been in situations where you have uh, an investor who's not, who doesn't care as much as you do. There's enough intelligent investors, enough capital out there that you should, you should be choosing and find the one that, you know, is in the trenches with, you know, with you the whole way. That's interesting. It sounds like it's all about finding someone that is really aligned with your purpose or your life's why, how, yeah. how we talked about it. Yeah. So it's very interesting. Is there any specific measure of money that every uh, single startup founder should know in terms of knowing when to go for an angel and when to go for a VC? Or is there no limit? Or if you could explain it very simply to someone that wants to learn, how would you explain that? Yeah, again, in the more typical world, I would say before you, you know, before you have a working product, you should go to an angel. And when you have working product, uh, or when you have, you know, one or two customers, you should go to a VC. That's sort of a very high level split. But again, I think all of this is being jumbled now because angels are doing bigger things and VCs are doing smaller things. Uh, but, but typically as someone who comes to me and says, I have a great idea, I, I would say, and you know, if they need money, I would say, um, you know, go to some angel investors. One other thing that's, that's really interesting and is happening, uh, unlike let's say 10 years ago or 15, 20 years ago, I do think it's harder for non-technical founders to raise money with an idea. And by the way, I'm, I mean, I've, 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 you know, dipped dipped into data science pretty significantly, but you know, I'm not an engineer, and so I have you know lots of friends who are business people, and they they start companies. And unless you have a track record, I think it's gotten a little harder to raise money on an idea, uh, unless you you know can show a prototype. It is doable, but but harder. And so I I actually would encourage a non-technical founder to to partner up with someone technical, build a prototype. It doesn't have to you know again pre-customer and all that, but you. You know that seems like a, a, a it's a little bit of a higher bar right hmm. now. That's uh that's really interesting, Samir. Thank you for sharing that. And now I want to switch over to Game Changer, the company that you lead and you run currently. And I want to know uh, specifically what type of pain points that are you solving through Game Changer? Why are they relevant? And I also want to 
even uh, dig deeper into the question and ask you what are the jobs to be done and the jobs to be done is the, the definition of what a pain entails so for example if let's say a pain is that i cannot uh, cook myself a better meal the job to be done is to have uh, more time to cook better meals to improve my diet so how would you explain the pain points and the jobs to be done being addressed by game changer to improve youth sports all around the US? Well, I like to start by saying, and a lot of people on our team like to say, the most important sports game of the week is not the one that LeBron James is playing in. It's the one that your child or your grandchild is playing in. That's what Game Changer is about. What we do is solve the problem, solve a couple of problems. First of all, Coaches are at these games. They're often volunteers. They're often teachers. They're members of the community. And we have given them an app that allows them to be better coaches. What they want to do is help the kids that they coach learn uh, more, more skills around how to play the sport, learn better, um, you, know, you know, sort of psychological and developmental skills, be better teammates. What we allow them to do is keep track of the game and using a really easy to use and functional app and gives them all of the statistics that they would collect from that game to, 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 to share with their, the kids and make them you know, be better coaches. At the same time, if you're a fan of the team, you're a parent of a child, you're a grandparent, you're an uncle, you're an aunt, how are you gonna watch that game, right? If you wanna watch a professional football match or a, a professional baseball game, you know how to do that. You can do it on a TV network or on, online. We've solved that problem for, for what we call fans, right? You don't need any fancy equipment to do it, just your phone. Uh, we stream the activity of the game that the coach is recording to your phone. You can, watch the, uh, you can watch a visualization of the game. You can listen to the game in your car if you're driving from, from work to a meeting. You can actually read an AI-generated recap of the game with your kid's name in the headline. You know, my son, you know, John hit two home runs to win the game today. And um, there's nothing more exciting than that emotional connection. And in the world we live in, people are busier and busier every day. They can't get to every game. You may have multiple children and one parent needs to go to one game. The other needs to go the other. In the U.S., families are spread out. Uh, and so your, your, your grandparents might be in another place uh, and they want to feel a connection to their grandkids. Uh, we get so many customer reviews coming in saying you've you've allowed me to have something to talk to my grandson about or my granddaughter about um, that we're really solving this problem of connecting people uh, who aren't always connected and youth sports is such a powerful way to do that because it's played in every community in the country and around the world it's played in rural communities urban communities suburban communities everywhere um, the really cool thing also is we've done this at a massive scale so every year we broadcast 4 million youth sports games. Uh, we broadcast more games in one month in the spring than in the entire history of Major League Baseball. And by the way, we're just getting started, right? So this year, you're going to automatically be able to create a highlight clip of your kid's best plays. So your kid's now, you know, the superstar in a video. You can share that video on social media with your family. Uh, soon you'll be able to do advanced assessments of things like pitch arc and velocity and other sort of more advanced data that can be collected from video and other things like hardware sensors and all that. 
it's 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 a really it's a really exciting space and you know, I believe our work is really important because youth sports is, as I said, so such an important part of the fabric of communities. So the coaches I've spoken to, all of them are motivated to help their kids develop. Families are so passionate about, you know, their kids developing social skills, working better with other kids and working on teams. And the athletes, whether they're a, a kindergartner or an elite high school player, they're so passionate about what they do, right? Sports can teach so many amazing lessons. And and like I said earlier, I think it's a great way to learn about the common good, right? And this has, by the way, been very important during during the pandemic, right? Due to social distancing guidelines, many games are played without spectators. Maybe one coach is allowed and the kids have to be separated. So our products allows families to stay connected to those games without having to be there. That's awesome, Samir. It's really fascinating to see that. And I feel... And this is just my prediction, but I feel like the power of youth sports, which I believe, I wouldn't be so sure, but I believe it's a bigger market than professional sports due to the number of uh, participants that are involved. But I would say that you're indirectly solving a different pain and let, let's see what you think about it. But how about you're improving the system of scouting for professional teams through the video statistics and uh, data that you can collect out of this, uh, the youth individual players that are playing all over the US. So what I mean is that maybe there's this coach in this college team that is looking for a great soccer player and he can come to you guys and be like, listen, I need someone that can play at this speed with this ability and knows how to do these four things. And you'll be like, oh, our AI technology can find you someone in, in 10 seconds inst instead of you having to go all over the country looking for people. So I'm not sure if that's a pain point you are addressing. I'm not sure as well if it's something you would address in, in later or you're indirectly preparing to address. But I think that it could solve a lot of problems there as well. What, what do you think about it? I think you've absolutely, you know, hit on something really important. I we have gone from indirectly addressing that, uh, subconsciously addressing it, to actually this year working to directly address it. And the reason we are now directly addressing it is we feel like video highlights is is the missing piece there. So we have, uh, at least in youth baseball and softball, the largest statistics database in the world. And um, it's quite reasonable with the way technology is now to apply AI to it to kind of understand trends and identify unique athletes and, and their performance. When you combine that with the actual video and you know highlights of a player, uh, you have a really, really good picture of, of, of high quality potential players who might want to get recruited by colleges or even professionals. And what we're excited about in the future is collecting all forms of data. Uh, the, the sort of growth of hardware sensors on bats, on other for other equipment, on balls, on gloves, uh, sensors to, to detect um, biological data. You have these smart you know, watches and things like that. We'd, we'd like to be able to aggregate all that to form a comprehensive profile of our athletes, particularly the more elite older ones who are thinking about like you said, getting recruited, it's a it's a huge opportunity. It's a small number of the total athletes we serve, but a but a 
a, a really significant pain point. And our team's gotten really excited this year about, uh, like, like, like I said, overtly solving this problem. And we certainly feel like we're we're one of the the, the products and companies that can be of, of a lot of value to athletes like that. I'm looking forward to learning of the next LeBron James that was found through Game Changer. I think that's really going to be a game changer for, for professional sports. That's right. Um, that's right. I'll let you know. I'll let you know before anyone else. Let let me know so I can bet on this guy <laughs> right before. Um, yeah, man. But I think that's awesome. I think that it's it's super exciting what you guys are working on. I think the technology is also very exciting and the things that you're able to combine between video and technology and uh, AI and data is super, super, super um, promising for the future. And I'm looking forward for all the things that you guys are going to put out. And I, I know you mentioned a little bit about how the COVID pandemic uh, shifted what you guys do or probably opened opportunity for you. I guess that one of the great things is that, for example, older people that have are more in risk of uh in case they get the COVID, um, they can watch games and be present at their uh, young kids' events without really being there. So would you share with us a little bit more about how you've seen the, cu the customer react to these benefits from the pandemic provided by your, comp your company, Game Changer? Absolutely. And just before I specifically talk about that, I want to touch on those communities and customers because without them, we'd be nothing, right? Many of them were deeply affected, right? Families lost loved ones, people lost jobs, kids, for the most part, many of them couldn't go to school or get a, you know, sort of normal education. I, I'm, I, I want to say that I'm really proud that Game Changer is, um, you know, is part of Dick's Sporting Goods, the largest sports retailer in the United States. And Dick's has made a major commitment to these communities through their Sports Matter Foundation, uh, and is really has been instrumental in supporting these communities. And I'm really proud that you know we're part of that uh, broader organization. Um, as it relates to the Game Changer business, we saw a dramatic rise, uh, 20 to 25 percent increase in the number of active users on on a given team. So a team that might have had 12 uh, kids playing, maybe 20 parents were following along, and that number jumped up to you know, 25. Um, we also saw, frankly, a significant rise in, in users who paid for our premium versions of our product because they wanted, the only way to get a full game experience in this COVID world was, was through our app. And, uh, and again, so it happened for reasons that were, 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 were not great, but uh, we were really glad to be there and be able to connect uh, a lot more people to you know to our you know to those games and we're seeing it now as well in the new year that that trend is continuing and and with video streaming it's really a complete game experience so you can now watch your child like you would watch professional sports on television or on the internet and uh and you know some of these restrictions unfortunately are going to continue for a while maybe a long while and we're going to continue to create this connection and make people feel as normal as they can during this time That's wonderful, Samir. When is it coming to Mexico? I can't wait to, <laughs> I can't wait to have it here. Yeah, I, I'll, I'll tell you. I had a I had my regular weekly meeting with with our uh, our VP, our head of product, this morning, and he he actually suggested that 
we should put uh, internationalizing Game Changer on the roadmap going into the end of the year and into next year. So uh, we'll be there soon. Looking forward for it, Samir. <laughs> um, I want to know also, I've seen on your blog that you write a lot about Bitcoin and that you're interested in, in the decentralized finance and sort of like the thing that you're very, very strong and solid and on. So I want to know what are your thoughts on Bitcoin and if you think there's any way where Bitcoin could fit in the sports industry, if so where and how? Uh, absolutely. It's something I've, I've spent a lot of time learning about. No question for me, Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies are now in the mainstream. So I view Bitcoin specifically as a safe harbor asset, and there's been a lot of talk about this. It is appearing to be like digital gold. I, I continue to expect a lot of adoption there. Cryptocurrencies and, and that whole world in general, to me, is about creating a new version of the Internet. Right? You're, as you said, as you're right. Decentralization is a word that gets used a lot. So to me, it actually isn't like some anti-government thing of, oh, we don't want any control. It's actually about creating new platforms that are much more in alignment with their customers, with third parties, like um, you know, developers that might build on top of them. As much as the dominant tech platforms of today are incredible, they all started that way, but now many of them are in conflict with their users and their, you know, and their whole ecosystem. They have too much power over their users, over developers who might build on their platform. So I think crypto can create new platforms and have a more you know, democracy in, in, on those platforms. It's still a long way to go. We, and absolutely in sports, I think there's massive implications. There's one area, and there's many, but one area that I'm really interested in, and there's been some good development there, is like around virtual collectibles. So sports generate a lot of events, a lot of data, and a lot of passionate fans, as we know. And they want to memorialize these events. So there was a lot of excitement about this crypto kitties thing a few couple of years ago. And sort of building on that, I would expect to see an explosion of sort of crypto based virtual collectibles around sports. And by the way, I think that'll start in professional, but I think it'll come all the way down to youth as well, uh, which we're, we're thinking about. Um, there's going to be other things. There's going to be sort of tokenization of players profiles and, and and all of that and because it's there's this sort of fundamental like payment layer here all transactions i should i think will shift in that direction so it it's hard for people to envision but i am in the camp that basically the internet's going to get rewritten and redone you know with with this sort of underlying kind of crypto mentality is that going to take a long time sure does it seem hard is it hard to to, to visualize it right now uh but But I've come to learn that that's how it was 20 years ago, 40 years ago. It just it's hard to visualize, like we said, or, you know, what's what's going to happen around the corner. But this feels like a big wave to me. And uh, certainly in our work and in my life, I'd like to make sure that, you know, we're um, you know, we're we're understanding this and staying at the forefront of it. Awesome, man. Thank you so much for sharing. And, you know, since we're running out of time, um, I'd like to ask you a more personal question. And that is, what has been the greatest day in your life? And why do you remember that day specifically? Yeah, so I'm going to have a, an, I'm going to have an unorthodox answer to this question. And it gets to a little bit of what I said earlier. Uh, through some of this uh, reading that I've done from, from Anthony DeMello and other people like that, uh, I've really come to believe in the importance of being in the here and now. So today is the greatest day of my life and so will tomorrow because I so appreciate what's right here and right in front of me. And uh, I'm just thankful for everything I have. And, 
you know, I mean, not to be so too philosophical, but every day you move closer to not having any time left and you need to enjoy and appreciate that moment, whatever it is, the work you're doing, uh, interactions with friends or families, or kids, who, whatever it is, uh, find, find the, there's, 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 you know, your, your happiness comes from within. Again, I'm being very philosophical, but I, I truly believe that. And, um, and I'm just, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm thrilled to be here. Uh, and thrilled to all the opportunities and that I have. And, uh, and by the way, I, I, I would be remiss if I didn't say, I think, ha- you know, you're at work and halftime snacks is just, and the community, you know, not just the, the, the interviews and the podcast, but the community that you're building is, is, is really amazing. I think you're putting uh, a, a lot of amazing effort into it. Obviously I'm a, pa- I'm a fan and very passionate about the subject matter. Uh, but even if you were doing some other subject, uh, I, I think it's really uh, incredible to watch. And I look forward to being a big supporter of, of, the, of, of your work and the community for a long time. Well, thank you so much. I'm very happy to be able to be part of your, the greatest day of your life up until tomorrow, because tomorrow is going to be greater. So <laughs> then I'm not going to be part. But one, at least I was in one of your greatest days of your life, Samir, and that's an honor. And I want to thank you so much for taking the time to come to the Halftime Snacks and snacking with me, talking about all these interesting things surrounding finance, technology, game changer, Bitcoin, what you guys been doing throughout COVID. It's really inspiring. It's a great story. And I think that it will inspire so many of the of the listeners and all the people out there. So thank you so much once again. I appreciate your time and of course your insights. And I can't wait to see what Game Changer is gonna look like at the end of the year, of course, in Mexico. So thank you so much, Samir. Before you leave, I wanna thank you for listening. To hear this or any other halftime snack, check out the full archive on my website, which you can find on the show notes. See you next week!